Underlying the cartoonish tone and historical fabrications is a desperate attempt to get the audience's attention. That's Sam Adams of Slate talking about Hunters, which we'll be reviewing this time here on Cinephile. Thanks so much, as always, for checking us out here. I appreciate the support from all of you out there. We were hoping to get Peter Berg, but things unfortunately fell apart. Uh, we tried to get him on Cinephile, but uh, unfortunately, schedules did not align on his end. So, uh, you know, hopefully it'll work out another time. But we're going to be reviewing his film, Spencer Confidential. Give you the goods on that action comedy, which is uh, coming out on Netflix, in fact, this Friday. For Total Recall, movies from 2000. So that was the year of Gladiator, of course. Uh, those are the movies of two, those are the Oscars of 2001, movies of 2000. And we'll see if Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott, if they really should have been uh, so handsomely rewarded. Also, Mount Rushmore of action comedies in honor of Spencer Confidential, Peter Berg's new film starring Mark Wahlberg, will be available on Netflix. Thanks, as always, for checking us out. Please do support us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Doc Lou Iowa is always checking things out. Uh, he's he agreed about Denzel. Robert Tunis, you're also being great. That was with the Total Recall last week. I was saying how Denzel was robbed for Malcolm X when he lost to my man Al Pacino. There's also a great uh, review here. I can't read all of it. But it's really good here from Shark Photog. He's a really uh, comprehensive listener and really, you know, gave a lot of support here. So thank you so much. I wanted to mention that out. A nice shout out to Route 3 in Lodi, New Jersey, which I particularly enjoyed. Um, we also had some interesting comments here. This is, this is a funny one here from T. Dickon. He said, Total Recall segment is a good idea. It needs to be done better. Every episode contains this. Adnan, I believe De Niro slash Pacino should have won well because they're my favorite. Already T. Dickon is wrong because the last episode I said Pacino should not have won percent of women. But I'll go ahead and keep it going. Joe, having not seen it. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Other than that, keep up the great work. So they're mocking us here for Total Recall, Joe. That, that, is, that is unnecessary. Well, that, the beauty of Total Recall is that we can be as biased as we want with these movies that we love. So, you know, that I, I, have, I have, don't have any problem with it, Adnan. <laughs> okay, that's good. This is one, I, again, I don't know why he does this. KDMDJDJD. It's a ridiculous name. I appreciate your opinions, thoughts, and The Irishman was in my top three or four of last year. The unequivocal slurping of anything with even the hint of Scorsese slash Pacino is such a turnoff to even me, a big fan of them. You who listens to anything you make an appearance on. Uh, just a thought to cool the slurping. Uh, another guy told me to slow down. You garble or swallow the name of a movie. Uh, another guy, the bad guy, heist movies in the Rushmore segment. You don't even get inside man a sniff. Yeah, listen, if Dan Stanton was here, he'd be standing up definitely. And uh, La Flamme, Adnan Hive, stand up. Thank you so much, everybody, for obviously all the comments and suggestions. We'll keep that in mind there for Total Recall. Fine, we'll, we'll just make it up. Joe will just say he's seen it, and I will definitely say De Niro and Pacino should not have won, if that will make one happy. Uh, <laughs> let's get to some reviews here, shall we? Spencer Confidential, available right now on Netflix, starring Mark Wahlberg once again, going to his bread and butter, which is action comedy. An ex-cop better known for making trouble than solving it. Got out of prison, leaving Boston for good. First, he gets roped into helping his old boxing coach, and mentor Henry Allen Arkin with a promising amateur. That would be Hawk Winston Duke, a brash, no-nonsense no MMA fighter, convinced he'll be a tougher opponent than Spencer ever was. When two of Spencer's former colleagues turn up murdered, he recruits Hawk and his foul-mouthed ex-girlfriend, Sissy, who is hilarious, Aliza Schlesinger, to help him investigate and bring the culprits to justice. From director Peter Berg, Spencer Confidential, action comedy co-starring Bokeem Woodbine, the aforementioned Mark Maron, and Post Malone. I knew it was Post Malone. I kept saying, who's this convict with all the ink all over his face? It's got to be Post Malone. Circles all over the place. Listen, if you like Mark Wahlberg, if you like Peter Berg's brand of action comedies, this is the movie for you. Again, action comedies is not a genre with which I'm particularly drawn to. So it's not something that's going to be seeing. Once we found out we were getting Peter Berg, they sent me the screeners. So that's why I watched the film. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure if I just saw it on Netflix. I'd be checking it out. But again, 
I'm glad I saw it because it does fit within those genre conventions. Wahlberg, very likable actor. He's been in, uh, twice on Cinefile. Great guy. He's still in unbelievable shape. And it's got more than enough uh, quips and bon mots that uh, are definitely entertaining. Good cast all around. And, and Peter Burke, say this for him. For a guy who did Friday Night Lights, I mean, I loved him in Copland. He's done a bunch of these action movies now with Wahlberg. He definitely knows his way around action movies. That's why I wanted to talk to him so much. I just think his journey is fascinating. The fact he's gone from an actor to like a, you know, an action director here of uh, some acclaim. But Spencer Confidential is not something I can highly recommend. I'll give it two and a half Maple Leafs. Again, if you're a fan of action comedies in that genre, go ahead and check it out. I mentioned Elisa Schlesinger. I thought she was fabulous as sissy. Foul mouth, Bostonian. I mean, I'm just calling a ceasefire in all these Boston movies. Like, I've never seen a locale with more movies set there. Like, that's my challenge to Mark Wahlberg. No more Boston movies. All right, how about a five-year moratorium on Boston movies? Like, make a movie in North Dakota. You know, give some love to Washington State. They got enough right now dealing with coronavirus. It's just enough for the Boston. Like, I got Boston. I got it. I lived in New England, for God's sakes, for nine years. No, no more Boston, please, okay? I should deduct a Maple Leaf just for the Boston. But anyways, Alan Arkin's always funny. And I love Bokeem Woodbine. God, what a good actor he is. I loved him in Fargo. And he's got a good supporting role here. And uh, Marin does show up briefly as a you know comedic role. But it's nothing you haven't seen before, Joe. But if you like your action comedies, it's on Netflix. It's an easy watch. Yeah, that seems like the perfect movie to watch like on a Saturday when you're hungover. You know what I mean? <laughs> just something. You know how it's going. You know how it's going to end. You know, it's just that kind of movie. So, yeah, I'll check it out on a Saturday at some point. Okay, that'll be the blurb. Next time, uh, you know, Joe gets a little smashed, we'll be checking that out uh, at his domicile in <laughs> Manhattan. Do you, do you actually live in Manhattan, Joe? I've never actually asked you. You may live in Brooklyn or Queens for all I know. Oh, I live in uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn. Bushwick, okay, Brooklyn, so yeah. Where all the uh, hipsters okay. live. So, yeah. That's, but it's also a Puerto Rican neighborhood, so I feel right at home. You're right, which people forget. They don't realize this. I mean, Joe Engelbrecht, despite the fact his name, Swedish. I mean, he's half Puerto Rican. People, I mean... We've got to do something with that. We need to start giving you a segment here, Joe. Just, you know, Puerto Rican films or something. I, mean, I don't want to typecast you here, but I just think it's uh, <laughs> people don't realize this about you. Yeah. If it helps, my middle name is Ramon. So I am Joey Ramon. <laughs> I never get tired of that. Uh, let's get to Hunters, which I was really fired up about because, of course, it stars my favorite actor, Al Pacino. Sorry for the guy who wrote that review about the slurping. But, yeah, it's Al. Are you kidding me? In 1977 in New York City, a troubled young Jewish man bent on revenge is taken in by a secret group of Nazi hunters fighting a clandestine war against the cabal of high-ranking Nazi officials in hiding who worked to create the Fourth Reich. The creator is David Weil. I was very fired up because you see Jordan Peele's name is attached. And of course, that cautionary warning to all of us, when it says executive produced by whomever, it means they probably didn't do anything. Uncut gems. Scorsese, listed as an executive producer. Of course, I've told the story. I met the Safdie brothers. I asked Josh Safdie with Ben Lyons. Hey, what did Marty do? He's like, nothing. I mean, he watched the movie. He liked it. He's like, you want to put my name on it? Sure. Thumbs up. <laughs> so Jordan Peele, executive producer. Did he write it? No. Did he direct it? No. Did he have any vision of it? Probably not. He just saw it. Said, sure. You want to put my name on it? Great. From the maker of Get Out and us, Jordan Peele, who didn't really do anything with it. David Weil is the guy responsible for this. Intriguing premise. Because revenge, living well is the best revenge, as Pacino's character says. And later says, no, revenge, the best revenge is revenge. Interesting cat. Eclectic is the word that comes to mind. Dylan Baker, who was phenomenal in the Todd Solon's film Happiness. I mean, playing this pedophile. I mean, one of the most disturbing movies ever. And I, I, I can't even look at Dylan Baker the same way. I keep thinking of this uh, movie and what he was in there. I mean, it was incredibly creepy. and It was, it was like the darkest of comedies. Here he's playing a very good villain named Biff Simpson. And speaking of villains, you know, it's not like Biff from Back to the Future. He is like a Nazi 
who's been pretending he's just like a casual American who then just goes on this killing rampage very early on. You've also got Lena Olin. Remember her sex pot from some, uh, you know, adventure thrillers and stuff from the 90s, erotic thrillers. Saul Rubin, a great Canadian. Toronto's own playing Murray Markowitz. Carol Kane loved her in Bill Murray Scrooged. She plays Mindy Markowitz, who is Saul Robinick's, uh wife in the movie. So, listen, there's all over the place. And, of course, you've got Al playing Meyer Offerman. Intriguing premise, and it certainly has its moments, but ultimately Hunters is a disappointment. I binge-watched all 10 episodes, which took me 10 and a half hours. Unlike Utopia Falls, shout out to my man RT. Go watch that. That's seven and a half hours, right? You're flying through that sucker. This is when it says 10 episodes, it's an hour each, and the pilot is an hour and a half. It certainly has good production quality. It's set in the 70s, um, and there, it definitely has its moments. The biggest issue with Hunters is this. It just doesn't know what it's wanting to be. Like, at times, it's campy and cartoonish and silly, and they definitely take some chances. Like, there's, there's one sequence which is just bizarre. They're, like, on a game show, and they're talking about Jewish stereotypes, and it's, like, beyond offensive. And I, I get what they're doing. They're trying to be, like, it's kind of like the Rodney Dangerfield in Natural Born Killers. Remember, because you seeing Rodney Dangerfield playing this guy who's abusive and just horrific to his daughter and his wife, and, the, and Oliver Stone puts a laugh track on it, right? It's meant to be just subversive. But in Hunters, I mean, it's just, it's just, I felt like it was just in poor taste, just mean, it was just disgusting. And then later on, you know, when they're assembling these guys who are Nazi hunters, it feels like he's drawing a page here from Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. And so you got to figure out what you want to do. Do you want this hardened reality of Holocaust survivors who are doing their best to overcome these Nazis who are living among us in America in the 1970s? And it is like a gritty crime series in New York City, or is it a goofy, campy show about would-be superheroes who happen to be a bunch of Jews who are exacting revenge for the Holocaust. And I think too often there's just this weird tonal shift between the two and it just doesn't add up. At times, the grounded reality stuff is really strong. Episodes six and seven in particular with Saul Rubinick and Carol Kane talking about their son and what happened with him. I mean, there's excellent dramatic acting. But at times, as my man Ciccone pointed out, one of my best friends who watched the show as well. I mean, it's cartoonish. Chaconi guest review. Hunter's disappointing overall. Too much comic book kitsch. I'm all for killing Nazis, but some ludicrous plot lines. Uh, Carol Kane and noted Canadian character actor Saul Rubinick, just gross characters. Uh, and of course, there's a big twist at the end, which I will, of course, not tell you. Big spoiler alert. As far as my guy, Al, I mean, he's tremendous. Again, the knock is always his one opportunity. He's too loud. Well, no, here he's this like, 80-year-old guy named Meyer Offerman who is like the leader of this gang. And he's very, you know, kind of, he's a mensch. That's the only word to describe what you He's a mensch. He's that old wizened hand. And he's taken this main actor, Logan Lerner, his character, Jonah, whose grandmother is murdered and is seeking revenge. And Pacino is, I wouldn't even say the mentor. Like the mentor makes you think of like the recruit, right? Or Donnie Brasco, like he's tutoring these guys. No, like Al's like 80 now. And Logan Lerner is like 20. He's, he's like a grandfatherly role now, a septuagenarian as he's trying to lead this hunt towards killing these Nazis. And so, again, he's, maybe he's very convincing playing a Jew. He did that in the past, playing Shylock in The Merchant of Venice, which was a very underrated film from Michael Radford. But in this case, you know, his character is uh, the more thoughtful, restrained one. Logan Lerner is the, the psychopath. And then the rest of the cast, I mean, again, it just feels so predictable the way it is. You've got the, you know, the good-looking, hotshot, kind of wannabe actor, wise-ass. You've got the black F, uh, cop who's investigating them. You've got this like Asian guy, Luis Azawa, playing Joe Mizushima for I don't know why the hell he's in the movie. Like it's just kind of all over the place. Yeah, Tiffany Boone in there as well. 
So ultimately, Hunter's is a mishmash of styles. And while there is some things to recommend, as I mentioned, there's a couple of strong episodes and some of the campy stuff. If you go for that, you can laugh with it or at least appreciate its tongue-in-cheek you know, mode. But I thought the ending was a disappointment. I saw the big twist coming. It's a very easy uh, tell to predict if you see what happens in episode five. And ultimately, uh, it isn't something I can highly recommend. Eric Deggins from NPR. Pacino in a rare TV series role is the marquee name here, but Logan Lerner's Jonah is the show's backbone. Well, he may be the backbone, but it's spineless, Eric Deggins. And I, I couldn't imagine the show without Pacino. Rob Harvila, the issue with Hunters is how much precisely you can take. In this case... Uh, I would leave it rather than take it. Hunters, and I devoted a lot of time here, Joe, for God's sakes, 10 and a half hours I had to spend, which adds to my annoyance. I'm giving it two Maple Leafs. What about that chess scene that we talked about last week on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see how, you know, some of these uh, you know, anti-defamation Jewish groups are upset about it. But, I mean, it, it's not rooted in historical fact, but, I mean, they're taking, you know, gross licenses here with fabrications. And, I mean, there's scenes, I, I'm, you know, which are meant to, uh, be uh, recreations in Auschwitz and stuff. So I, I could see how people would be a little bit offended by it. Again, it's uh, it's not a documentary, so you can do it with what you will. But in that case, I just wish there was some content that was at a better level, right? If you're going to take some chances here, if you're going to take some big swings, hopefully you connect more than you miss. And I think in this case for Hunters, it's a real mishmash. I'd be curious if there's a season two. I don't know. I, I don't know if people are listening to it or watching. I mean, tweet us. Go ahead. Cinephile Pod or Adnan S. Ferk. Let us know if you liked Hustner, Hunters, disliked it. I had not checked the reviews. And then, Joe, you told me before we did the podcast. Now, the reviews have been uh, unkind, so to speak. They've been about as mixed as you can get, veering on the side of not that great. Yeah. And I could, uh, I could definitely agree with that. All right. Some entertainment news here. No guests this week. Rest in peace, Peter Berg. Rest in peace, in fact, James Lipton, creator and host of Inside the Actors Studio, dead at the age of 93. God, he was a beauty. The elegant, articulate wordsmith and theater academic whose desire to give his acting students a greater insight into their art led to the popular Bravo series Inside the Actors Studio. Died Monday to so in Manhattan from bladder cancer. First off, the guy was 93. Looked incredible for 93. He only stepped away from the show two years ago when it went from Bravo to Ovation. And by the way, still check it out on Ovation. I mean, it's a great show. Now you get actors interviewing other actors, including Ellen Burstyn, who interviewed Al Pacino, which was amazing. Conceived by Lipton in 1994, Inside the Actor Studio was created to serve as a thinly disguised masterclass for students at the Actor Studio Drama School. Paul Newman is the initial guest, one-hour program featuring a top performer in the intimate, in-depth, one-on-one interview with Lipton. Nearly 300 subjects, many of them Oscar and Emmy winners, uh, winners rather, as the show became one of Cable's longest-running series. I mean, listen, the best part of the show, there's two great parts, of course. One would always be the research. He did his own research, and he would ask some question, and inevitably they're like, how did you know that? Where did you get that from? You know, is it true your sixth-grade softball teacher once said to you, like, well, how did you know these things? And the other part, of course, is the quiz, which he would always give credit to, uh, I believe it was uh, Bernard Pivot, and that was originally based on Marcel Proust. And it was, you know, what's your favorite word? What's your least favorite word? And, of course, the best answer you always get is what is your favorite curse word? I mean, the, I remember James Canelfini, now that I live in Jersey, was it, what are your favorite curse words? He said, well, it's a very Jersey thing, douchebag, <laughs> which I do hear quite a bit here on the mean streets of Jersey here in Hohokus. But, um, you know, if heaven exists, what do you want God to say to you at the pearly gates? Uh, what job would you most love to do? What job would you least like to do? I remember De Niro. I never, I mean, I never felt a stronger kinship with Bob. I said, what job would you least like to do? Same answer for me. Anything nine to five. 
I was like, I just couldn't do it. You know, my life now, it's nights, it's mornings, it's weekends, it's, uh, you know, holidays, whatever. I like the, the idea I have five different employers. I just, I couldn't imagine nine to five screwing in the lug nut, going home, crack open a little wheel of fortune and watch, you know, a TV dinners here with the kids. I just, I just couldn't do it. De Niro and I are the same. I remember Philip Seymour Hoffman, they asked him, what show would you, what, what job would you most not want to do? He said, critic, which I thought was interesting. Critics are always kind to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Maybe he just didn't, uh, didn't fancy himself as a critic, perhaps. So those are the questions I'm going to ask now with my man, Joe Engelbrecht. With a, I feel like I've given enough of a lead up here. So Joe, uh, what is your favorite word? Favorite word? Oh, man. Um, capricious. <laughs> Excellent choice. Thank what you. is your least favorite word? Um, towelette. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my friend Bernie would say February because that's a great, because I hate how you say it. You have to February, like it's just annoying to say. Um, other than your own, what occupation would you most like to have? Oh boy. Late night talk show host. Oh yeah. I was going to say with the comic background, what job would you least like to have? I had it when I was 18 already and never want to go back. And I was working mover? professional mover. No, it, it would be essentially that only with a lot more cow poop. Cause I was working for the Minnesota state fair at the time. So I was just oh. shoveling that for a whole summer. <laughs> uh, that's a rough one. What uh, sound or noise do you love? Oh, boy. I really love the sound of birds in the morning. I love it. A little yeah. chirping. What sound or noise do you hate? The kind of squeak that you get from like a rubber railing. Oh, yeah. Just like a like that. I can't oh. do that. Offensive. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, that, would, that would be fuck. Uh, <laughs> force ver- versatility alone. You can use it in any situation. You can insert it in the middle of words. Uh, you can. It, it's just such a versatile word, and I think it's underappreciated in that sense. I'd love to see. I mean, I haven't checked enough of these obits, but I, I, I'd love to see the tally of favorite curse word because I mean, the F word has got to be high up there. And lastly, if heaven exists, what do you want God to say to you when you enter the pearly gates? Hey, man, love your smile. <laughs> and I would say thanks. You made it. <laughs> I can't. I don't know which one it was. Some actor said, "I'm going to be nice," which I thought was probably the funniest way. <laughs> God looks. At you. I'm going to be nice. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, good stuff there, Joe. Good stuff on the quiz. Go ahead. Do all your quizzes right now. I think it's such a great game. It's always the best. You can. I mean, I'm now going to indulge it inside the actor studio. Rest in peace, the great James Lipton. Clearly a guy. I mean, listen. You talk about loving acting, loving the process, and giving back. Amazing. Again, that guy's going to get mad at me now with this subscribe Apple podcast here, but my slurping of Pacino. But Pacino was amazing. He's so passionate about acting. When Al asked him what turns you on, he said everything. <laughs> that literally was his name. He's like, oh, everything. Yeah. I'm going to ask you that, Joe. Sorry, two more. What turns you on and then what turns you off? Uh, turn on intelligence and mm-hmm. turn off, uh, I guess, just people generally being unkind to other people for no reason. Mm-hmm. Those are two excellent choices as well. Dustin Hoffman's, I remember he said, what... what 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 uh, what do you hate most? He was like, you know, when I see a parent grabbing their child, I'm like, geez, where, where are you? Like, there's child abuse going on. He's like, oh, it's the worst because when you see like a, a parent yanking their child, I'm like, oh, like oh, the way Dustin Hoffman said it, he just looked horrified. By the way, in terms of great guests, you want to go back and check out episodes. Dave Chappelle is a really good one. Um, Kevin Spacey. I mean, unfortunately, all of a sudden it's happened, but he did some great impressions. I mean, he did Chris Walker, he did Jack Lemmon. Uh, Jack Lemon was really good. He admitted he's an alcoholic on the show. I mean, that was pretty impressive and very candid. I mean, Robin Williams, I think the New York Times said that in terms of the most memorable episodes. So there's definitely lots. I, I encourage all of you to indulge as I will be this week. Also, Judge Judy going to end in 2021 after 25 seasons. The new show Judy Justice is in the work, an end of an era. 
Judge Judy's upcoming 25th season is the last one. The reason I want to do the story is for one reason alone. Can anybody listening tell me Judge Judy's last name? Jody, have any idea what it is? Uh, Joyce. No. Judy Joyce would be incredible. Judy Scheindlin. First premiered in 1996. And Scheindlin will be starring in a new show. Judy Justice, set to air in 2022. 25 years, CBS bought the Judge Judy Library, consisting of 5,200 episodes for $100 million. Taste that. Whew. Also, Steven Spielberg will not direct Indiana Jones 5. Long development process. He's handing it off. Another filmmaker, first time in the franchise's 39-year history, but he's one of my favorite filmmakers. I wasn't wild about Ford versus Ferrari, but I loved Copland. I loved Logan. I love Walk the Line. And that means James Mangold taking over. That's right. He's been in charge of franchises, of course. Wolverine, as I mentioned. Logan was a blockbuster. $619 million. He, uh, Mangold was nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. So he's handing over Indy's whip to a new man there with Mangold. Nice little passing of the whip rather than the passing of the torch. Harrison Ford is still on the project. And lastly, Public Enemy. As I told RT last week, I'm not crazy about hip-hop, but I love Public Enemy. The best. Takes a nation of millions to hold us back. I get the ice of the cassette tape. Fear of a Black Planet. I mean, when I met Chuck D a few months ago, I told him, I go, None of the Living Bass Sets is like one of my favorite songs ever. The horn in that track. Well, P.E. is back. I mean, people are like, wait, they're still around. I'm like, yes, they are. Parting ways with Flava Flav. This was after the rapper filed a cease and desist letter to the Bernie Sanders campaign after Chuck D announced a group would perform at the presidential candidate's rally. Rolling Stone, the first one to mention Flav's exit. Uh, Chuck D, who, of course, I follow on uh, Twitter. Public Enemy Radio, a Chuck D-led offshoot, DJ Lord, Jahi, and the S1Ws maintained its performance at Sanders Rally would go on. They're also revealing a new album, Loud is Not Enough, in April. Chuck D's tweet, so I don't attack Flav on what he don't know. I got to leave him at the crib so y'all trying to fill his persona with some political aplomb is absolutely stupid. Obviously, I understand his craziness after all this damn time. Duh, you don't know him from a box of cigars or me either. How about that, Chuck? Pretty good mic drop there from Chuck D. Yeah, of all the things, I'm I'm that severed their ties is kind of surprising. When the for the last twenty five years, he's been wearing a clock on his neck like a necklace when watches exist. You know, that would have been the first sign for me. Save the clock tower or the giant clock around Flavor Flame. <laughs> and lastly, entertainment news: The Simpsons short film is going to play in theaters in front of Pixar's Onward next week here on Cinefi. I'll be reviewing Onward as I take the Verk boys to go see it. Pixar movie, always a must-see, especially when it's an original. So I look forward to seeing that and paying $82 to go see that in theaters. But yeah, The Simpsons, I mean, it's crazy, Joe. You had, though, in your Mount Rushmore, best comedic series of all time. Now they have a short film playing in front of theaters. I mean, this is going to be 50 years of The Simpsons. Never going to stop. I, I know. And my first thought when I saw this news was that were they intentionally doing this to have something worse than the movie so that people like the movie more. Because I think that's just where The Simpsons have got to this point. They used to be so good. What do you think of them now? Like the modern version of it. Have you watched it? Do you have an opinion on it? Are you kidding? I don't think I've watched Simpsons in at least 10 years. Yeah. Like the only reason I would tangentially know is because I love Azaria. And Azaria we've had twice in the podcast. And I was aware of the whole Apu controversy. And now he's, you know, graciously stepped aside. But I, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched an episode. You? No, I, can't, I I really can't. I, I just know that a lot of their flashbacks now, instead of going to the 60s and 70s, it's Homer and Marge like meeting in the early 90s or mid-90s, which just throws me through a loop. It's, just, it's a show for a different generation now. 
Yeah, and that generation is not us. I will enjoy the short film, though. I'll let you know how it is next week here on Cinefile. All right, that's your entertainment news coming up next to Mount Rushmore of Action Comedies Plus Total Recall, the movies of 2000, which would be Academy Award year 2001. That's coming up on Cinefile. your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Mount Rushmore. Action comedies, Mount Rushmore. Oof, we got a doozies here. I mean, this is in honor of Spencer Confidential. So as we go through the list, you got to think no-brainers here, right? Well, listen, Midnight Run. Bet your butt that's going to be on the list. I mean, De Niro and Charles Grodin together. De Niro went ass. The guy's been like 100 movies. What are your favorite movies? He was asked this at ESPN. I'll never forget it. And uh, it wasn't me on Cinephile, but somebody else asked him. If you haven't heard the interview, check it out on Cinephile. But he said, I like Raging Bull, and I like Midnight Run. Like, those are the two movies that came to his mind. Midnight Run, tremendous movie. Ahead of Meet the Fockers, analyze this. It's amazing. I mean, the chemistry, or lack of it, with him and Groden together, hilarious. And it still plays, and Dennis Freeman is absolutely scene-stealing. So Midnight Run is a no-brainer. 48 hours. I mean, the scene where Eddie Murphy walks in the bar, the redneck bar, and just, you know, assumes control. There's a new sheriff in town. Again, Nick Nolte, as Jeff Pabier said, a voice like a talking ashtray. Murphy, though, is obviously the guy who just owns the movie. He's amazing in that movie. 48 Hours, no question, is on that list. I know that Joe is going to go with Hot Fuzz, so I will avoid that for now. I'm going to get Deadpool in there. You know what? Like Most people would think superheroes, what the hell, though? It's action comedies. Like, that's a legitimately very funny movie, and there's a lot of action in it. So what the hell? Deadpool is going to make the list because I think it's a real melding of character and actor. Ron Reynolds is just... Uh, unforgettable for all the right reasons in that movie. So there's three. And now it gets tricky. Now you're getting with Tango and Cash. I mean, that's Stu Gatz's favorite movie. I don't know if I can go quite in that direction. Guardians of the Galaxy, I feel like, is more superhero. Lethal Weapon, I, you know, how can I do a list and not have that on there? So I feel like I'm going to go to Lethal Weapon. It's a safe choice. But um, listen, there's definitely other choices here. I mean, Joe's got a list here. I mean, the, the Naked Gun he put on this list. I, I can't quite go action comedy with the Naked Gun. It's just so ridiculous. I don't know about how much action there is. I would just call it straight up comedy. But I will make a safe choice here and give it up for Riggs and Murtaugh and especially Joe Pesci in the latter sequel. So my Mount Rushmore of action comedies, 48 hours, midnight run, lethal weapon, and Deadpool. I should get docked here, Joe. My, my list is not risky at all. I hope you took some chances. I have a follow-up question really quick. Do you consider Lethal Weapon to be a Christmas movie? I haven't given it much thought. I mean, the one that everyone always mentions is... Uh, Die Hard, yeah. Yeah, Lethal Weapon, uh, I don't think so. Why? Is it? I think I think it takes place like on Christmas Day. And I, I think that gets kind of lost in the shuffle of Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, yeah. 
Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. I, I'm going to say no because I had no idea it took place in Christmas Day. All right, cool. Well, I'll give you my list really quick. And you're right. Uh, I have to include Hot Fuzz, Simon Pegg, and just the parody that they do for every action movie you've ever seen. I'm doing Bad Boys 1995, Will Smith, Martin Lawrence. And then I'm going to go with Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe. Have you ever seen yes. that movie? That's an outside-the-box pick. No, I've never seen that. I got good reviews. I remember hearing about it. It's good. Yeah, it, it it's a really cool comic book, music, teenage angst movie. Definitely check it out if you have, have the time to do it. And then my last one will be 1998, Rush Hour. I need to get a Jackie Chan movie on here. So Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan, Rush Hour, the first one. Very good. I mean, Rush Hour definitely should merit some inclusion. A couple honorable mentions, Kung Fu Hustle and See No Evil, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, just for Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. That's our Mount Rushmore's here. Let us know what you think. Cinephile Potter, Adnan Esferk. Total Recall. All right, before we close up shop here, the movies of 2000, Total Recall 2001, Best Picture. What do we got, Joe? We have Gladiator, Chocolat, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Aaron Brockovich, and Traffic. So the reason I recommended this year was I remember this being one of the worst years in recent memory of the Oscars. Like, I remember thinking about that year and going, I don't really didn't like too much of anything, to be honest with you. I'll go with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, just because it was so different. But I don't think Brockwitz is great. Traffic, I remember I liked it at the time. I never rewatched it. My brother hated it. Chocolat, I've never seen. Shout out to Johnny Depp. And Gladiator, I remember thinking, really? That's the best picture of the year? Like, that, that didn't feel best picture to me. I'll go Crouching Tiger. I'll go Crouching Tiger, too. I, I watched it a few months ago, and it still holds up. It's still so good. I watched Gladiator recently, too, and it just feels so much of that era and much more Hollywood, if, if that makes any sense. Uh, absolutely. Best director. We have Steven Sodenberg, Traffic, Steven Daldry for Billy Elliot, Ang Lee, Crouching Tiger, and Steven Sodenberg for Aaron Brockovich and Ridley Scott, Gladiator. So hang on a second. Steven Soderberg was nominated twice? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's unbelievable. I'd forgotten that. That's crazy. I mean, I don't remember he directed Brockovich, but a double nominee and best director. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm confirming now. He directed both movies that year and was nominated twice. This, this is insane. This is like multiplicity <laughs> with Michael Keaton. Well, there's no damn way he should have won. I wanted Ong Lee to win, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I mean, I think that's a superior film, even though Steven Soderbergh was nominated twice, which is, which is baffling to me right now. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that before. No, not for best director. Yeah. It's crazy. Would you have picked Soderbergh for Brockovich, let's say? No, I would I would go with Angley too. I mean, when they're flying through the trees in that movie fighting, how do you how can you get it any better than that? So I'll go with Crouching Tiger. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that is some real daring do. Best actor. Russell Crowe for Gladiator. Javier Bardem for Before Night Falls. Tom Hanks, Castaway. Ed Harris, Pollock, and Jeffrey Rush Quills. Toss up for me. Uh, Crow should have won for the insider of the previous year. I don't even know if he was nominated. Now that I think about it, 1999. Maybe he was nominated, but obviously did not win because that was the year Kevin Spacey won for American Beauty. So I would either say Tom Hanks for Cast, which I think might be his best performance. And I, the reason he didn't win is he'd already won, obviously, for Forrest Gump and Philadelphia, which I don't think are two of his top performances. So. 
you know, again, revisionist history. I don't want, I don't have three Oscars. I'd like Tom Hanks to have one Oscar and the one that definitely I think he should have won for was Castaway. Or if we just have to look at life and say, well, what the hell, duty. We won for Forrest Gump in Philadelphia. I'm not giving him three Oscars. I would have gone with Ed Harris because that's one of the really impactful movies, independent film from his heart. He directed it. He co-wrote it. He produced it. It's about the entire creative process. Jackson Pollock was a tyrant in many ways. And I thought he was incredible with the whole splatter paint and really kind of inhabiting the role. I'll go with Ed Harris or Tom Hanks. I'll go with Tom Hanks for Castaway only because he's in complete seclusion for that and he carries the entire movie without a supporting cast. Exactly. I mean, for God's sakes, he's talking to a volleyball, Wilson. I mean, it's like a silent movie, how good he is in that movie. How about Best Actress? Julia Roberts, Aaron Brockovich, Joan Allen, The Contender, Juliet Binoche for Chocolat, Ellen Burstyn for Requiem for a Dream, and Lord Linney for You Can't Count on Me. One of the great outrages of all time, Ellen Burstyn did not win for Wequiem for a Dream. You know, the scene where she's explaining to Jared Leto why she's taking these diet drugs. Maddie Libatique, who was a cinematographer, had tears in his eyes when he was shooting. Darren Aronofsky tells the story in the commentary track. He's like, you understand, Libatique looks at me and he's got tears in his eyes. I think he almost screwed up the shot. He's like, oh my God, this is so impactful. Ellen Burstyn, nothing short of heartbreaking as Sarah Goldfarb. Absolutely should have won an Oscar. A travesty. That Julia Roberts won for Aaron Brockwich over Ellen Burstyn for Requiem for a Dream. And if I had to go with the second choice, Laura Linney, delightful, and you can count on me. And if I had to go with the third choice, I'd go with Joan Allen for Rod Lurie's The Contender, a really gripping, dramatic role. And once again, I haven't seen Shokola, so I guess I'd have Roberts at fourth or fifth. Burstyn, unforgettable. Requiem, nightmarish role. I agree with you, but for the sake of total recall, I'm going to go with Laura Linney for You Can Count on Me. Okay, good. Listen, wonderful indie movie. Her and Ruffalo, wonderful. Best Supporting Actor? Benicio Del Toro for Traffic, Jeff Bridges, The Contender, Willem Dafoe, Shadow of the Vampire, Albert Finney, Aaron Brockovich, and Joaquin Phoenix for Gladiator. Del Toro, very strong in Traffic, uh, but for me, are you kidding me? Willem Dafoe. Again, Max Schreck completely inhabits the role. I mean, I love movies about movies, silent film era. I mean, Defoe should have won an Oscar by now, for God's sakes. I mean, I'm almost getting as pissed now as I am by Best Actress, the fact that Alan Burson didn't win. <laughs> Willem Defoe should have won for Max Shrek. Amazing. I am Puerto Rican Adnan, and so I'm going with Benicio Del Toro <laughs> for traffic. And that's how this works. All right. I, I like the loyalty. I like the passion. I mean, I had Blinded by the Light, you know, number seven on my top ten, Pakistani kid growing up in London, so I, I appreciate it. So I like the fact that we are, we are showing our... Uh, our ties to our heritage. Best Supporting Actors. Marcia Gay-Harding for Pollock, Judy Dench, Chocolat, Kate Hudson, Almost Famous, Francis McDormand, Almost Famous, and Julie Walters for Billy Elliot. God, a lot of Almost Famous here. No thanks. Marcia Gay-Harden was the right choice. Props to the Academy. Again, Pollock, great. Lee Krasner. The fact that she goes toe-to-toe with Pollock in some of those scenes. I mean, they're verbal uh, jousting together. She was awesome in Pollock. I was really, really happy when she won. I I agree with you. I'm such a big Francis McDormand fan, though. It's, it's tough for me. So I'm going to go Kate Hudson, almost famous. Hmm. <laughs> As Penny a little bait and switch there. Yeah. I like what you did there. Okay. Yeah. And two more. How about best original screenplay? We have almost famous Cameron Crowe, Billy Elliot, Lee Hall, Aaron Brockovich, Susan Grant, Gladiator, David Franzosny, and John Logan, and William Nicholson, and You Can Count on Me by Kenneth Lonergan. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Kenneth Lonergan. He's a great writer. Uh, was part of the writing of Gangs of New York. He wrote Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I loved You Can Kill On Me. That was like a big breakthrough. He's a former playwright. It was Ruffalo's debut. Lenny previously won an Oscar. We mentioned Oscar nomination. I got to go with my man Kenneth Lonergan here. All right. I'm going to add anything you have to know about me. I'm a huge classic rock guy. Really <laughs> like Cameron Crowe. That whole story. I wanted to live almost famous when I was that age. So I got to go with almost famous. I would have been shocked if you didn't go almost famous, quite honestly. All right. So that makes sense, Joe. How about adapted screenplay? We have Traffic, Chocolat, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys. You know, my boy Lovelock was telling me, you got to watch this movie. And I said, why do I have any interest in Michael Douglas' uh, pot-addled professor's shambling presence, life in disarray? I loved it. I think it's a really funny movie, and it's smart, and it's witty. I would give it great script. Steve Clove was based on the book. I've not read the book, obviously. And uh, Douglas was fantastic in the movie. He was really, really good. I really like Wonder Boys a lot. I'd give that adapted screenplay win. I, I already gave Crouching Tiger two Academy Awards tonight, so I'm going to go with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I love that movie, original story, Coen Brothers. You can't go wrong. All right. Those are picks, y'all. Those are good good movies. I like their picks this week. Let us know what you think. What year do you want us to do? Let us know. Honestly, tweet us in right now. Cinephile Pod or Admin Esferk. Let us know what you want to see coming up in the pod. Next week, I'll be reviewing Pixar's Onward in theaters this Friday. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.